experiencing a day that you have never seen before. A day that is brand new. A day that has the promise of anything that you can ask or imagine of God. Today, you can ask God for anything and he will do it for you. So here's a new day. It's a new opportunity. It's a new chance for you to be the best you can be, to have the most you can have, and to share at the highest level you can share. Make today a very productive day by giving yourself to the Lord so that he can use you to fill someone else's life with joy. Hallelujah. We continue our study today on Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10 to verse 20. And as we continue this study, I hope and I pray that you are gleaning from this, not just the truth it contains, but I hope that you're gleaning the power and the enablement to put into action what you are learning. Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10 to verse 20 tells us about the task we have at hand of spreading this gospel across this world and the forces that we will engage in taking on that task. And we have been talking about the enemy that we face. We have looked at identifying this enemy. And now we are talking about engaging this enemy. Engaging our enemy. And as we are looking at engaging our enemy, we have looked at the purpose for our armor. We have looked at the goal of our armor and the importance of our armor. And so we have started now to look at each of the individual armor pieces and understanding what they are and what they are meant for, their purpose, and how we utilize them, how we put them on. And so we have looked at the belt of truth, and today we are continuing our look at the breastplate of righteousness. We have looked at the breastplate, and we have looked at what it is in relation to the soldier, how it protects him, its purpose, and how it's utilized. And so today I want to turn our attention to looking at and assessing the concept of righteousness because this is the center of our focus. We have looked at the vehicle of the metaphor, now we're looking at the tenor of the metaphor. And the metaphor that is used here in the text is the breastplate of righteousness. So as we take today to look at the tenor of this metaphor, righteousness, we will look at this word in light of the Hebrew word that is translated righteousness. We do this because we understand that the original language is Hebrew. The language of God is Hebrew. If you want to know the base of a concept, you have to go back to its Hebrew origin. So we're going right back to the roots of this concept. We're not looking at the Greek word that is translated righteousness because, again, it doesn't have the rudiments of the root of this word or this concept. The root of all things can be found in the Hebrew language. The root of all concept, the root of all things that you want to know about, you can find its root in the Hebrew. Because that is the original language and that is the language of God. All concepts created, all things created were created in the Hebrew. So I want to look at this word righteousness in the Hebrew. I've explained before that each Hebrew word the letters that make up that word contributes to the meaning of that word because every Hebrew letter has a meaning. And because every Hebrew letter has a meaning, every 
Hebrew word is like a sentence or a statement. It tells a story. It says something. And that statement that it makes will tell you what that word means. It will tell you and define for you what that word is. It will define the concept. It will tell you what that concept is. So as we assess each of the letters of this word that is translated righteousness or righteous, we will come to understand what righteousness is and what it means. The word that is translated righteousness is the word sadiq. And the word sadiq is spelt using the letters sade, dalit, yud, and kof. Each of these four letters will give us a definition for that word sadiq. So the first letter of this word sadiq is the letter sade. Now sade, literally it is a fish hook. Remember we said that each letter is a symbol and the symbol that represents the letter also contributes to the definition of that letter. For example, we talked about Aleph and Aleph is an ox head. Well, Sade is a fish hook. And it means to pull things towards you. It means a desire or it means to hunt. Now, Sade also means a righteous man. It is quite interesting that the word Sadiq, which is a word for righteous, begins with a letter that means righteous man. Not strange. But always while you're going to begin it. But anyway, let's continue. So Sade is a righteous man. The second letter is the letter Dalit. And Dalit literally is a door. That's the symbol. It's a door. So Dalit is a door. It refers to the door on which those who are in need can knock. That's what Dalit is. Now a lot of words that, that starts with Dalit will also give you an idea as to what the letter means, words like dal, which is the word for poor or poverty, these will give you an idea as to the concept of dalet. Because dalet, in the Talmud, it teaches that the letters gimel and dalet, you know, they stand for gomal dalim, which is a phrase that means to care for the needy. It also teaches that the graphic form of gimel and dalet is a man running with his foot extended forward, running towards Dalit. So it's a rich man running towards Dalit. And Dalit, no, it gives a graphic picture of a poor man looking back towards the rich man running towards him. He's looking back in hope towards that rich man that is about to meet his needs. So the rich man, which is the Gimel, is running towards the poor man, which is the Dalit. And the poor man is looking back towards the rich man looking back in hope towards him that's about to fulfill his needs. So if you're going to understand Dalit, what it means and what it conveys, Dalit therefore conveys the idea and concept of caring for the poor. So, Sade is a righteous man. Dalit is caring for the needy, caring for the poor. If you look at Daniel chapter 4 and verse 27, it reads, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. If it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. 
So here we see in a text where righteousness, that word translated righteousness, is the word sadaka. And that word means charity. It's the Hebrew word for charity. It also means community loyalty. So here we see Daniel saying that the king must break off his sins by charity, which is giving to the needy. So we know that Dalit stands for caring for the needy. Also, we come to the third letter, which is the letter Yud. Now, the letter Yud is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. One of the remarkable things about Yud is that all Hebrew words begin with a Yud, and all the letters of the Hebrew language begin with a Yud. So a little dot. A little dot on the page. Little curved dot. So that little dot is the beginning of all Hebrew letters and the beginning of all Hebrew words. Also in assessing Yud, we can look at the gematria of Yud. The number for Yud is the number 10. And the number 10, it is not one of the normal numerals that is used. So there are nine numerals from 1 to 9. Zero is a placeholder. It's not a number. It's not a numeral. So there are nine numerals, 1 through 9. Now to get 10, you have to now begin to think abstractly. It requires imagination. It requires you to think abstractly. So it's made of the 1 and the 0. So it's a different way of thinking, an abstract way of thinking in order to create a 10. So that is how the letter Yud is associated with thought, with thought and imagination. So the Yud, in essence, is also a letter that signifies wisdom. But when you look at the Yud as to what it really is, the symbol for Yud is a hand, a closed hand. So the hand, your hand that is closed, that's a symbol for Yud. What does the hand symbolize? The hand, even in the English language, the hand is a symbol of power. Work that you do, the things you do, your ability. So the hand speaks to that. So the Yud is power or ability. Then we come to cough. So, cough, it's that letter which means sacrifice or offering. The letter itself, its symbol is the back of the head. So when you look at cough, you see the shape of the back of a head. No, literally it's the back of the head, but it means a person. But it also speaks to sacrifice. It also speaks to offering or it also speaks to happiness, the higher self, reaching for a higher level or a higher spirituality. And there are different facets of this letter that bring about this idea. But in light of what we're trying to do, we don't want to spend too much time on each of these letters to explain what they really are in, in depth. So here we have Sade, Dalit, Yud and Kuf. And these letters tell a story. So what's the story that these letters tell that tells you what Sadiq means or that explains the concept of Sadiq. We said that Sade is a righteous man, Dalit is caring for the needy, Yud is power or ability, and Kuf is through sacrifice or offering. So if we're going to look at what the statement that this word makes through its letters, it is this, a righteous man caring for the needy, through his ability, 
in sacrifice or by sacrifice. So that's a message of Sadiq. This idea that at the core of righteousness is caring for the needy, that belief is essentially ingrained in the Jewish theology. There are three things that the Jews believe that you must do if you are going to be declared righteous. And that is, you must pray, you must fast, and you must care for the needy. At the core of righteousness is caring for the needy person around you. In Matthew chapter 6, where Christ, in a part of his discourse on the mountain, is called the Sermon on the Mount. Christ talks about righteousness and he said to his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, that your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. And he puts righteousness in staunch opposition to that of the Pharisees of the day, which is tantamount to hypocrisy. So he's saying your righteousness must extend above that which is hypocritical. So he says, when you pray, do not be like those who stand in the corner of the streets and bellow and use vain repetitions. But he says, go in secret in the secret of your closet and pray to your father in secret. And your father which sees in secret shall reward you openly. He says then that when you fast, don't disfigure your faces that you may appear to men to be fast. Don't do it for men to see you. Do it in secret. Go about life as you would normally. Wash your face. Anoint your head. Make yourself look nice and good like you always do. Because God, when he sees in secret, he's going to reward you openly. But then he says, when you do arms, do not sound a cymbal or do not make a trumpet of what you have done. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand does. What Christ did there, he took the three basic things that the Jews believed to be the basis of righteousness and he says it to his disciples, this is how you manifest righteousness. This is what is true righteousness. That must exceed and excel above what these men consider righteousness to be. They do it to be seen. You must not do it to be seen. You must do it because this is what righteousness really is. So here we see that the very word that is translated righteousness connotes the thought and idea of caring for the needy. Another way to show you that this caring for the needy is at the core of the faith that God gave to the Jewish people. In the temple of Jerusalem, there's a room called a silence room. And in this room, only one person can go in at a time. Only one person can go in at a time. And the person has one of two purposes when they go inside that room. And that is, one, you could go in as a needy person and so you take whatever money you need. Or you can go in as a donor or a giver and you go in and you donate and give what you're giving. The idea behind this concept or this practice is that the giver doesn't have an audience with him so they can see what he's giving. And so it takes away from him the artiness that would normally follow if there's people watching when you're giving. It takes away the artiness. For the needy person going into that room to take whatever he needs or whatever portion of money he needs, it takes away the humiliation that's normally associated with persons receiving gifts from others. It preserves the person's dignity. 
And so here we see the concept of giving and caring for the needy coming out. And that's at the heart of Sadiq. That's at the heart of this word for righteousness. So if we want to understand and truly conceive what righteousness is, we must learn that righteousness is a righteous man caring for the needy through his ability, limited by his ability, while sacrificing. Now, friends, if it is in your ability to care for the needy and you don't do it, you can't be called righteous. If it is in your ability to give a dollar and you give none, you are not righteous. If it is in your ability to give 10,000 and you give 1,000, then you're not maximizing your potential. You're not giving according to your ability. And so therefore, you're not righteous. If you are doing far less than you are able to do, just because you want to satisfy the requirement of being called righteous, you give just enough just to be called righteous. If that's the way you give, you're not righteous. Because righteousness is about caring for the poor to the extent of your ability in sacrifice. Because if you're giving a little of the much that you have, that's not sacrifice. If your giving doesn't hurt, then it's not sacrificing. There's also a little traditional philosophy among the Jews that the rich man who is wealthy, the wealth he has, is simply holding it for the poor. And so he must spend his time returning that wealth to the poor. So giving to the needy, giving to the poor is at the heart and at the core of righteousness. And no man should call himself righteous if he's not attending to the needy around him. The practice amongst us where we say, oh, he wasted his years. And so that's why he's going through what he's going through. If that's your judgmental way of looking at people, you're not righteous. You are righteous when you look on the next person who is in need and you understand that that is me. Absent the grace of God, that is me. And if that is you, how are you going to treat you? And that's essentially what love is. Love at its core is me seeing myself in the person that's in front of me. When I can see myself in the person in front of me, the person next to me, when I can see myself and project myself onto that person, that's me. And I can really treat that person as how I would want to be treated. That's what love is. That's what love is. That's why the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. It means see yourself on that person and love yourself. If you love yourself, you'll never hurt another man if you truly know what love is. Because love is me projecting myself onto that person. Love your neighbor as yourself see your neighbor as yourself and love your neighbor as yourself so someone rightly says that the only love we are capable of is self-love and that is true the only love we are capable of is self-love so the only way we can love another is to see ourselves in the other these concepts are brought out in the Hebrew word for love but we can assess that another day so my message to you today friends what are you doing with the resources that God has given you? Are you living your life and consuming everything God has given you upon your own 
happiness and joy and lifestyle? Or are you looking out for those who are around you? Are you spending the wealth and the riches God has given you for the sustenance and care of those who are around you? A needy person is a person who is in need. Doesn't have to be a person who is sleeping on the streets. Doesn't have to be a person who has nowhere to live. A needy person can be somebody who has a house, but they just need some money today. A needy person can be a person who lives somewhere, but they just need some clothes today. A needy person can be a child who is coming from a nice home, but the fact is the child needs some lunch money today. It may be somebody who even have a job, but the person just needs a bus fare today to go to work. So the needy person doesn't have to be somebody who's sleeping on the street. A needy person is simply somebody who's in need of something today. Can God use you to bless that person today? Can God use you to answer those prayers today? Will God use you today to answer somebody's prayer or crying out to him? The resources God has placed in your hands is to bless the person who is crying out to him right now. Allow God to use you. Allow God to use you to answer somebody's prayer. And so, the righteousness that you have, the righteous person that you are, can come out and shine. Tomorrow we'll look more into this word of righteousness and share more about this concept. So go forth, my friends, and be a blessing to somebody. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. Thank you that our righteousness is of you. But Father, we must manifest this righteousness. This righteousness you have placed in us must manifest and bless those around us. Lord, we ask you today, empower our minds. Cause that, Father, our minds will rise above all the negative connotes against righteousness. That we may reach out and touch those around us and bless them through the things you have poured out into our lives. May we become conduit, O God, of your blessing. May we become channels, O God, of your immeasurable blessing upon our lives. So that God, you can bless the world through us. So that you can bless humanity through us. Have your way in our lives today. As we give you thanks and as we give praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, my friends. And do remember, God loves you. And I do too.